The content here is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult a healthcare professional with any medical questions and concerns. If you are experiencing an emergency or need immediate help, call 911. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapeutic relationship. I just get so angry. It's hard to sit still. I don't want to be this way. My brain just feels all scrambled. Hello and welcome to Scrambled. I'm your co-host, Chad Douglas. And I'm Nikki Shields. This is episode 39, Executive Function. Uh, or functioning function? What is what is it, Nikki? Yes, it is both of those. <laughs> awesome. Yes. <laughs> it depends on how you're talking about it. Yes. <laughs> okay. So um, this is something that I know what it is just based on things that have happened in therapy and, and just general discussion, but I don't know that I could put into words what it is. So can you? I will try. I okay. believe that I can. I mean, the, the key here, com. that's right. Google says, uh, but the thing is, I'm going to have to use my own executive function mean oh. skills okay. mm-hmm. to do this. Okay. So executive function is essentially the skills that help us to pay attention, get organized, plan, problem solve, think ahead, that kind of thing. And so there's several different categories of brain function that kind of fall under this idea. And the reason that we want to talk about it is executive function and executive dysfunction are kind of thought to be at the heart of several mental health conditions, especially in childhood. So it's it's relevant to all, um, but we, we definitely are talking more about this in terms of childhood development and childhood mental health. Can adults have bad executive functioning skills or is it something that just yes. develops with age? Okay. Okay. Yes, it, it, you can have this at any phase in your life. And it, it can be, you know, a, you're born with it kind of thing where okay. your executive function skills just aren't quite on target and you have to work with them and, and learn some skills over time to sort of compensate for that. But you can also have things that happen in your life that affect your executive functioning. So maybe you're taking a medication that's affecting that part of your oh. brain. Maybe you're taking uh, or maybe you've had a head injury or uh, another type of health condition that's that's affecting that part of your functioning. Um, and so it, it can happen from get-go or it can develop over time. It can come and go. It depends on the nature of you know what's causing your difficulty. And where does the executive functioning skill live in the brain? So it's it's thought to be in the the okay. So this is where you you have to remember I am not a brain doctor. I am not a psychologist. I know what I know uh, enough to to help in counseling and to kind of give a very general overview. It's mm-hmm. sort of like if there was a map of the United States, I could tell you this is the northeast, this is the southwest, but like. I would, you know, so with the brain, I can tell you the different areas, but there's so much more to it than that. But so if I ask you where Tuscaloosa is? I, I can point to a general area, right? Okay. I can, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to tell you the latitude and longitude. I'm not, gotcha. you know, so, so in terms of the brain, uh, executive functioning is thought to take place in the frontal lobe or the prefrontal mm-hmm. cortex. And kind of, you know, as I tell kids, it's, it's that if you put your hand on your forehead, it's the space right behind your hand. And oh. uh, that part of your brain, you know, we, we talk with kids a lot about, you know, the, that part starts to develop around age four or so, and it continues to develop throughout your lifespan or until, until about 25. And then it, it's kind of more um, static at that point. So you still kind grow and change. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in our early episodes where we talked about the brain, we mentioned that executive functioning and, you know, the frontal lobe stuff really is is very, very hard for young children because they simply don't have the development there. 
So if it starts around age four, is that about the time you would start to notice maybe there's not great executive functioning skills in your child? Yes. And and also, I, I would say it's probably standard to see like difficulty with executive function at age four because, you know, they're just they're not supposed to have all that figured out. They might be really good in one area, like really good at paying attention to something that is exciting and fun, but maybe it's harder to pay attention to something that's kind of boring. Or maybe they're easily distracted by bright, shiny things at that time because they just haven't developed the skill to say, hold on, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So you can start to see problems at that stage. But to be fair, most kids at age four aren't supposed to have all those skills in check yet. So it's, sure. it's hard to differentiate between is this a problem or just something to keep your eye on or just part of normal development. And you had mentioned earlier, uh, just a few minutes ago, about it's believed that this could be related to other mental health issues such as? Well, I mean, the, the executive function portion of our brain um, also plays a role in managing emotions. And so if you think about, you know, a child with depression or high levels of anxiety, if there's something not quite right in the executive functioning range, you know, that could be playing into that as well. And okay. so, you know, ADHD, depression, anxiety, OCD, any of these any of these types of childhood disorders that we've talked so much about could be connected to an executive function dysfunction. <laughs> Can I, I'm going to ask kind of a, a, an odd question and, and maybe our editor will take it out if it's dumb, but you know, I, I use the term common sense. Like that person doesn't have any common sense. Is that kind of what executive functioning is? I, I, I think that that could be a part of it, but I don't know that that's all of it. I mean, I think, okay. Common sense involves some logic and some thinking and some ability to process information and make sense of it. So, so yes, like that that plays mm -hmm. a role. Um, but I think you know, you if you see a child, you know, struggling with impulse control, it doesn't mean they don't have common sense. It just means that they can't, you know, slow down enough to focus on that one thing, and so they're they're moving kind of too quick for their brain to keep up. Um, there there are lots of areas under this this category and so like you could have difficulty in different parts of executive function that would lead to different types of symptoms so there are three three main areas i wanted to talk about can i throw mm -hmm. those out okay. yeah so one one is working memory and that's like the ability to kind of keep information in your mind and use it a child's working on a math problem and they're having to think through like okay well how do i how do I use this? And then I figured out this answer over here. And so then I need to apply this here. So it's like being able to okay. hold on to something and then use it. Okay. Um, cognitive flexibility is a second area under executive function. And this is essentially the ability to think about something in more than one way. So, uh -huh. you know, when a child can look at something and see both the good and the bad in it, that's an example of cognitive flexibility. Um, and then the third area that we think about a lot with executive function is self-control or the ability to sort of inhibit themselves from doing something. So basically being able to ignore distractions or resist urges or, you know, stop themselves from from taking a given action. I, I think I'm most intrigued there by the cognitive flexibility is is that thinking of, of different ways, um, maybe walk a mile in their shoes, how this affects other people how what, what decisions i make ripple out and affect other people yes i mean all of that is connected and so it it might be you know part of you know the ability to take perspective to look at something through somebody else's lens um it might be being able to you know take a problem and look at it from several different directions when we when we brainstorm or when we try to think outside the box like those are all examples of using cognitive flexibility you you can see kids who struggle with that because they're you know essentially very concrete and they're thinking maybe more mm -hmm. black and white and it's mm -hmm. they, they have a hard time 
you know, thinking beyond what they see or what they know to be true. And and just because they struggle with that doesn't mean that that's not a skill that they'll develop. And the, the interesting part to me, at least as a therapist, when we're looking at executive function is that as kids progress, as they continue to grow and develop and they maybe learn new skills and that kind of thing that like you can see evidence of this starting to work better. You can see pieces of this getting better, but there may be some parts that are always really hard. So for a child with a diagnosis of ADHD, they may get really good at organization or they may get really good at one piece of this, but they might always have trouble with, you know, paying attention when things are kind of boring or, you know, stopping themselves from doing something that they know they're not supposed to do because that impulse is too strong to resist. And so it's, it's fun to watch kids develop this skill and, and, and from a therapeutic perspective, there's lots of cool ways to practice it, which we'll share in this episode, but it, but is also challenging because it's lots of different things. And, and as I said, I, I can speak of it in general terms and, but there's a lot of really, really good information out there on executive function and how to work with it with your child. So don't, don't stop here. If this is something interesting, yeah. keep, keep looking, keep asking. Uh, fun from the therapeutic perspective, probably frustrating from the parental and teacher perspective. Yes, yes, yes. For example, uh, okay. <laughs> from the parent perspective, I I love my children, and I hope no one ever doubts that, especially them. But my fourteen year old, since she was four, I mean, I can trace this all the way back to that period of time. Mm-hmm. If I had something I didn't want her to get into, something that you know, and, and it could have been makeup, it could have been play doh, it could have been something of mine. It didn't matter. I could tape it. I could put a physical stop sign over the thing. I could relocate it. I could put it up on higher ground. I, it didn't matter. Like she was going to get it. There wasn't that that ability to go. Nope, that's not mine. I shouldn't take it. Hmm. And and that started and even now at fourteen. Where's my face lotion? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen it. No, I'm sure you haven't, you know, and, and it's always going to be in a room. It, it, it just is. And so that's an impulse control thing. That's just really difficult. It, it really isn't her, you know, trying to defy me and, oh, I don't care what mom thinks. It's, I need face lotion. There it is. I'm going to use that one. And yeah. no thought about, you know, like the consequence of that, regardless of many, many, many attempts to help her learn that skill. And not put it back where it belongs. So the next yeah. person who needs the face lotion gets it. Yep, exactly. Okay. So how do we begin teaching better executive functioning skills in children? So it, it starts very young. I mean, you know, part of it is the way that you engage with with toddlers and young children is, you know, teaching them to to stop before you cross the street, teaching them, mm-hmm. oh, hold on, say please. Like some, some of those things that we instinctively sort of teach are really about self-control. They're about teaching those basic skills. Um, we just don't necessarily look at look at it under that lens of like, we're teaching our child executive function. But okay. a lot of the, the strategies that I work with with young children in a, a therapeutic setting or I work with their parents on are self-control-based things. So it might be playing a game like, Oh gosh, this is going to date me, but like Red Rover, Red Rover, you know, you have to, you know, stop and like, listen, who are they going to call and, or, um, red light, green light, right. Mm-hmm. Um, Simon says some of those games, you know, the, the child has to listen and process information and make sense of it and make a decision and act or not act based on, you know, um, the, the Simon says is a really good one for that because if, you know, Simon didn't say, but you know, you have to process that and make the decision and not do the thing that you feel the urge to do. So those, a lot of the games and interactive things that we do with young kids anyway, are actually designed to teach us skills. So even board games, card games, Uno, you know, like all of, there's so many games that we play with kids that are helping to build organization skills, focus skills, attention skills. And 
we don't even mean to like we're, mm-hmm. we're not intentionally doing it um i love to have kids blow bubbles but they can't pop them until they hear you know the magic word and you know i'll tell them at the beginning what the magic word is and until i say the magic word don't pop the bubble and it's you know their eyes light up and they want to hit the bubble they want to hit the bubble but yeah. they haven't heard the magic word and you know so those kinds of things can be really fun or having a child put like a stuffed animal on their head and they have to stand really really still and focus on that stuffed animal on their head and make sure it doesn't fall off that's really hard for a little kid to do but all of these sort of interactive activities are designed to sort of challenge their executive functioning skills and help grow them. So, and it's just like any other skill, the more you do it, the easier it is to use it. So when kids have to practice focusing or they have to practice self-regulation, then it's a little bit easier to to use it when when it's necessary. So how do you teach them to think of others or to, to see different perspectives of a situation? So that's, I, you know, again, no science in front of me. This is just my experience from working with kids is that's a skill that comes a little bit later. Teaching perspective is not something you can do with a three-year-old, you know, don't Mm -hmm. don't count on that. But as they get into, you know, middle school and junior high, we want them to start to think about the world through other lenses, but knowing at the same time that they're kind of inherently self-centered at that point, right? Developmentally, they're very focused on their own experience. They're very self-conscious. This is a very uncomfortable time. Um, But we, we want them to start to see that other people might have different perspectives that what they want or what they think isn't always the same for everyone else. And so a lot of things that happen in classrooms are designed to teach perspective. A lot of assignments mm-hmm. and, and homework things are perspective teaching skills and, and they help with that cognitive flexibility. If you are an adult, how do you start to look for this in the in the child in your life? So, you know, my guess is for, for lots of folks, you're going to see lots of different types of difficulties that make you go, what's going on here? So, you know, f- constantly forgetting homework. Maybe they get it done and they do it well, but they forget to turn it in. That's that's the potential for maybe an executive function issue there because they, they're not planning ahead enough. They're not thinking about, you know, this thing that needs to be taken care of. Kids who just simply can't keep their stuff together. I mean, you, you know, you've all seen the backpacks and the lockers and the desks that are just chaos. You know, that might be something to pay attention to. Now, you, I mean... I would argue that you can have very sloppy, disorganized people who are very successful and and functional, but they, there also has to be some basic skills at the heart of that to kind of keep them moving forward. And kids who maybe struggle to initiate a task, uh, we see that sometimes in therapy is that, you know, kids will be brought in because they, they have the ability to write to do things. They're very intelligent. They know the stuff they've tested very well, but like to get them started on an assignment is like, pulling teeth. It's very difficult mm-hmm. to, for them to, and they almost need somebody to hold their hand all the way through that. And it's not, it's easy as a parent to be like, oh gosh, you're being so stubborn. Just do your work. But actually this child might be struggling with an executive function disorder. And so, you know, we'll have that too, where parents will say, oh yeah, they were diagnosed with ADHD, but they don't necessarily connect all of these individual struggles to that di- diagnosis. So like that inability to start a task or that inability to prioritize and figure out what the most important thing is, those are all related to executive function and, you know, related to a diagnosis of ADHD. But, and here's the other side, and this is just me trying to make things as complex as possible. It's possible to have trouble with your executive function skills and not have a diagnosis of ADHD. It always, it goes back to that same thing I've said a million times, which is it, it how much is it impacting your life? How much dysfunction are you having as a result of this, this one thing or these, this combination of features? So you can struggle with this and not have a diagnosis. What advice can you give to parents then who, when it's homework time and that child will not start it and you feel like you do have to sit there and hold that hand through the entire assignment, the child knows what they're doing. They, they know the, the, the work. It's not like they need help figuring out that math problem. They know what they're doing, but doing just what you described. It's those, yep. it's those bad executive functioning skills. So 
how can you help us? I mean, those parents out there. <laughs> well, it's so it's a couple different things. I mean, one is make sure you know exactly what the issue is. You try to do a little detective work to find out is it is it anxiety? Is it ex, you know executive function? Is it boredom? Is it I'm too tired because mm. I've been going all day and I haven't rested, or I'm hungry, or I don't feel well? Like there's there's sometimes other things at the heart of it. So it's like part of our job as parents is to be detectives first and then like what what is at the heart of this? And what if you know it's just an issue with like not being able to initiate the thing, um, you know, just sitting with them as much as like our brains, like I have other things I need to do. Mm -hmm. Like I can't sit here all night. They're only little for so long. And if they need you to hold their hand to get Don't that thing going, this I, know, I know, I know <laughs> because we just did this last night. It was like, okay, I, I'm sacrificing the rest of tonight because we're going to get this homework assignment done. And it was it was painful because it was math and we've already talked about that. You know how I feel about that. But but that's just, I mean, you sometimes just have to kind of sit there because what happens when you sit with them and you you patiently, this is the, you know, like what the ideal state. It's not necessarily what we are actually doing, but ideal state is you're patiently guiding them and you're teaching them to initiate a task. You're teaching them and helping them to practice in a safe environment this super important life skill. Because, I mean, I sit at my desk at times and go, oh my gosh, there's so many things going on. Where do I even start? And because I kind of had to have some support through the years over with that kind of thing, I now have the ability to narrow it down. I can use the front part of my brain to go, okay, this is the biggest, most pressing thing right now. And that's where I'm going to begin, right? So sitting with them as much as it may drain every bit of emotional energy you have, it is, it is a way to help them stick with it. Uh, but, but you can also set limits. Like, let me be clear. There's, there's times where you just have to say, okay, I'm going to have you do one assignment. I'm in, or one, one problem, one question. I'm going to go do this and I'm going to come back and I want Mm -hmm. you to have that done. Can you do it? Right. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be painstakingly sitting there for hours on end. You can, you can change it up. But if it helps and it gets the assignment done, so be it. Yep. And something that this, this ventures, you know, into like really definite uh, strategies that they would use in therapy or, or maybe even occupational therapy to help kids with this skill. Uh, but it's super effective. So if you, you know, say a kid has 15 math problems they have to do and they just, they, they're lacking that initiative or they're struggling to get started. A lot of times you can take like um, items, like 15 items. So maybe it's 15 coins or 15 paper clips or 15 action figures. I don't know, whatever your, whatever items you have nearby and you put them in a pile. And every time they complete a problem, you move it over to the done pile. And so by the time they're done, then all of these items have been moved to another pile or put in a shoebox, or put in a bucket or put in a bowl. And what, what is good about that is it's, it's giving them something tangible to help them practice that skill of doing the thing, completing the task, following it to completion. We all know people who maybe can start things, but don't finish them, right? Mm, yeah. That's an example of an executive function problem, starting but not finishing or not being able to start. All of that falls under the same umbrella. This is all very fascinating. And we talked about from the parent's perspective, how frustrating it can be, even though I, you know, you pull that whole, there are only little once card on me and I'm uh, so sorry. I'm I, so sorry. You know, I'm so- I need to hear that every once in a while. Um, I, know. I think everybody needs to hear that every once in a while, but if you get there and sit there with them and, and teach them those executive functioning skills, maybe it's, it's showing a lot of patience, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. What is it like for the kid who has poor executive functioning skills? We talk about how it can be frustrating for the parents. What's mm-hmm. that kiddo going through? 
and depending on the child's nature and demeanor in general, I mean, it can be a lot of things. It can be rage. It can be frustrating. It can be, why are these people expecting me to do something that's so impossible? I mean, it's, you know, think of, think of things in your own life that are very, very hard for you. And then having someone who, you know, <laughs> you love and they love you, but they're like mad at you because you can't do that thing. You know, like I, the mm-hmm. example that comes to me is if somebody needs me to run 15 miles, <laughs> I don't care how supportive <laughs> and encouraging they are. I hate them and I'm not going to do it. You know, like that's, and so it just, if it's something this child legitimately has, you know, a limited skill set for it and isn't interested in it at the same time, it's going to be ugly, right? It's going to feel yeah. really bad. And, and over time, like if, if the adults in their lives parents, teachers, other relatives, if they don't understand that it's not always the child's choice, that can lead to low self-esteem. That over time can lead to, well, I can't do this thing and they're trying to force me to do this thing and I feel terrible about myself because I can't do the thing, you know, and that's that's really hard. And I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm being a little bit of a Debbie Downer talking about it, but it's it's the truth. Like if, if you lack an ability to do something and the people around you can't have empathy for that, um, it's very hard not to personalize it. So it's important to know if your child has an executive function difficulty so that you can help encourage them and help get them the, the skills that they need to overcome that. How do you get other adults to understand this, whether that's a teacher, a coach, a grandparent? Well, so you know that I'm the queen of, of information sharing. I, I, I want everybody to to know what I know and read the things and understand it and go, ah, that's it. That's explain, you know, but I also understand that not everybody likes that. So there's, there's other ways to get at it too. So Damn, a, yes, understand that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I don't, I don't. I don't understand perspectives on this. Like, why wouldn't you want to read the article, Chad? I don't I, get it. You know, the, the ones you gave me for Christmas are sitting here ready to go on my desk. So I appreciate the nice wrap job. I put a really pretty bow on them. The least it, you can do is pretty. read them. Yes, yeah. will do. <laughs> no, but so for those that are open to information in that format, there is so much good information out. You can send a quick link, an article. There's lots of infographics about executive oh. function. Go to Pinterest, find some things that connect for you. Share those with the adults in your child's life. When it comes to teachers, you know, that can be a little bit trickier because I, I usually think it's about more than just, you know, the teacher needing to understand that it's an executive function issue. I, I usually think it's a relationship thing between the child and the teacher because teachers do know about this. Teachers know that executive function issues are there. Like that's part of childhood development. That's how teaching curriculum is developed. So it's not that they don't recognize that, but it may be that there's a relationship issue with the child that's a, that's keeping that that piece of information or that perspective out of the equation. Interesting. And we've talked in past episodes too, where if you have an environment where the child doesn't feel safe, and I don't mean physically safe, it's emotionally safe, that child is not going to learn. Yep. Yep. And because anxiety, fear, you know, that that fight or flight response that shuts off the executive function part of the brain. I mean, you know, taking it back to our brain episode, when you are in fight or flight, you are absolutely not utilizing your frontal lobe. You are, you are not tapping into that ability to learn, take an information, make sense of it, hold on to it, you know, organize things, plan ahead, initiate, you know, those kinds of skills that we've been talking about in this episode, just go offline if you're in fight or flight. So if if a child feels emotionally threatened in a situation, don't plan on on them being able to take in any information in that moment. You have to get to a safe place emotionally first. What advice could you offer for the kids? I mean, do children know they have 
poor executive functioning skills? Not for a while. I mean, okay. it's, you know, that really, I, we can have conversations with our teenager about, gosh, it's really difficult for you to pay attention when XYZ is going on. Or, huh, it seems like, you know, your room's a disaster. <laughs> Could we organize it? You know, but like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know that that, that self-awareness is there. I mean, a big piece of um, executive function is like that ability to self-monitor and reflect. And so, you know, kids who struggle in this area aren't going to be able to go, gosh, my room's a mess and that's why I can't find anything and I'm, you know, not turning my homework in, right? It, that that ability to self-reflect just isn't there mm-hmm. and it takes longer to develop and it needs help to develop. So really there's no advice we could give to kids because they don't necessarily know that they don't have great executive functioning skills. Maybe not advice, but I, but I do think kids should be part of the conversation. So, okay. you know, any kid, I mean, and the number is kind of arbitrary because it kind of depends on the the developmental level, the intelligence, the the willingness of the child to participate. But any kiddo should participate in conversations about what's getting in their way, what's not going well, what they need help with. And that was a, a big part of, you know, therapy with children for me was, hold on, you know, like we're here to talk about you and what's not going well, but like, what are you having a hard time with? What do you want help with? What do you think would help you with this? You know, how would you like to work on this? Or I'll, I'll give kids, you know, the option like, hey, it looks like you have a really hard time with organizing things. How do you want, you know, do you want to learn that skill using, you know, art supplies? Do you want to learn that skill using games? You know, and so we can kind of give them some say on how we go about helping them with it. But but I think they should be part of the conversation. But we have to be careful there too, because I mean, yeah. It's not really for them to label and understand yet, right? right? That, that's that's our job to recognize it and go, okay, that's what that is. And this is the skill that's missing. But that's, that's the language I would use. Hey, it looks like you have a really hard time with this skill. The skill is listening. Listening is an important skill. Let's talk about how to learn that. And then we'll practice it. And then I'll give mom and dad some ideas for how you can practice it at home. And so having them be part of it, having them understand it, but in terms that make sense to them. You know, I don't want kids walking around telling their friend, I have an executive dysfunction. You know, like <laughs> it's not it's not an ideal situation. But if they are intelligent and old enough and mature enough and they, they want to understand what that means, absolutely. We have a, a workbook that I use in the clinic that's uh, executive function skills for teens. So it breaks it down. It defines it. It tells them what each of those skills are and how to work on them. And so there's nothing wrong with them knowing about it, talking about it, being part of it. Um, but, you know, giving them advice on it is is usually better. It's better to replace that with helping them to build skills. What can this do to a child's self-esteem then? If you have uh, an adult in their life who's kind of telling them constantly everything they're doing wrong and mm-hmm. not much encouragement, that doesn't seem like a happy place to be. Yeah, yeah. It, it, this, this kind of thing, because if you think about executive function skills and the areas that they cause problems, it's frustrating to lots of people around you, right? It's mm-hmm. messy or it's disorganized or you're not doing your work and you're getting bad grades or you're, you know, you're frustrating other humans, right? So kids with this, you know, pattern of, of difficulties tend to get in trouble or tend to get a lot of negative feedback. And after a while that builds up and that can turn into low self-esteem. You know, if, if the child isn't given the opportunity to build the skills and the encouragement and, and a little bit of like self understanding too, that, you know, this is why this is hard for you. Um, then they can internalize that and they can kind of have all these really negative messages. And, you know, that's because my oldest child and I are wired so differently. I, I have to reflect on that a lot. Like is my feedback about, you know, the messy bedroom or the, you know, disorganized closet. Am I, 
am I personalizing that in a way that, that she's going to internalize it? Or am I trying to help her build the skill of organization? And, and I don't, I don't know that I always have the answer on that. So (laughs) self-esteem is, is a a big concern with, you know, any childhood disorder or dysfunction or, you know, lack of skill can result in poor self-esteem. And that's one of the important reasons we do what we do, because we know that when kids don't feel good about themselves, it's hard for them to, you know, move forward and feel better. And um, it just makes life harder for everyone around them too. And when a child's self-esteem starts to dip, can you kind of share with us what to look for so you can kind of rebound yourself and be like, okay, we need to do more encouragement? Yeah. So a lot of negative self-talk. Oh, I'm stupid. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. You know, nobody cares about me. Um, withdrawal from others, not wanting to hang out with friends. Maybe they were social before, but now they're just not that interested. Um, irritability, you know, quick to quick to frustration and anger, you know, something where you know they're capable of it, but maybe that refusal has gotten stronger. Um, that would be kind of maybe indicative of or indicative of a self-doubt. I'm not going to do good anyway. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it right. So I'm not even going to touch it. And then you just in- encourage them more or, or point out good things that they're doing to kind of boost them up? If you see low self-esteem, that's, I mean, it's like a, t- <laughs> it's a 10,000 step process to get okay. back to the other side of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm telling you, I am just loading us up with really complicated um, processes and ideas tonight, but it, it really is just like, gosh, it seems like you don't feel very good about yourself. Help me understand that. Let's talk about that. You know, and, and sometimes, you know, parents can relate because we all have tough moments too. But at this point, it's it's more important to hear from your child and, and have them tell you. And, it, and this is where, you know, getting a counselor or getting, getting signed up or on a wait list for a counselor can be good because counselors can help that positive thinking kind of turn around and come back. Um, but if you think your child is experiencing low self-esteem and it may be, you know, you think it might be related to the way you're talking with one another or the interactions you're having, you know, it's, it's important to change those interactions. It's important mm-hmm. to find other ways to relate to your child so that they don't walk away, you know, feeling negative every time you interact. And so that can be hard. And I, you know, I oftentimes encourage parents to seek their own counseling if they're worried that, you know, their responses or how they're handling their child's difficulties are turning into low self-esteem for either them or their child, because it's, it's hard to change in a vacuum, right? We have to, we have to all kind of reflect on our role in things. And so um, that's, that's why help is out there. Perfect. What does it mean for kids to have good self-control? This is relative, right? So self-control is, it's a, it's a slowly evolving thing. And some kids, you know, from birth have more self-control than, than others, right? They just, Mm -hmm. they just sort of come out like, Hey, you know, just self-regulated it's. And so some of that is biology, uh, but it is a, it's a relative developmental process that you just, you just kind of have to watch. And I've met kids on all ends of that spectrum, right? So there's, there's some that they're, you know, maybe eight, nine years old and you can't leave them alone in a room because they're going to get hurt and they're going to break stuff. And that would be, you know, very unhealthy, scary, like low levels of self-control where you really do need to intervene and see what you need to do. But, you know, you can have children with good self-control in some areas and not in others, you know, so maybe a child has good self-control when it comes to keeping their hands to themselves or, you know, keeping their stuff nice, but maybe they're not so good at, you know, controlling their impulse to shout out in class and that kind of thing. So what it means to have self-control is going to be different from child to child. And I think, I know, it's not an I think, it's an I know. It is very difficult to believe that these young children that we're raising that like struggle with the most basic of skills are going to, you know, 
be adults one day that have it all together, but they will. We'll, They'll get there and we're going to help them get there, but they don't have to have it all figured out now. And so I think my cautionary tale there is like, it's okay if your child is kind of sloppy. It's okay if your child has a hard time initiating tasks. It's okay because they're not supposed to be perfect. I mean, even Mm -hmm. if they don't have a diagnosis and you're seeing these, that's normal. And even if they do have a diagnosis, it doesn't mean that they won't overcome some of that. In fact, we see many kids who in, in young childhood, they have ADHD and maybe it's the hyperactive sort. But by the time they get to high school, the hyperactivity has gone away, but the inattention maybe still lingers. But now they're motivated because they want to be a bioengineer or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Whatever it is kids want to be these days. And because they're motivated and excited to do that thing, they're figuring out how to stay focused and how to do things and how to complete it. Like at some point they take ownership. And so just, I think kind of the, the sum up of that is, you know, self-control looks different in each kid. And the goal is just to see it continue to get better over time. We're not looking for like little robots. And mm. if they are, that's a different set of problems, you know. YouTuber and influencer, that's what kids want to be. That's what kids want to yeah. be. I forget. Mm. Yeah. What are some other signs of poor executive functioning skills? Yeah. So there's a few others we haven't mentioned. Uh, Forgetting something that they just heard or read, you know, you're doing an assignment and you just literally read the the phrase that is the answer for the question on the worksheet. And they're like, I don't know. (laughs) They just read it, you know? So like, or I just told you to put your shoes on. Oh, I forgot. I mean, I told you three seconds ago, right? Those would be potential signs. Um, Having trouble following directions or following a sequence of steps. One of the tests that I, and it's not a formal test. It was just like my sort of um, informal, you know, hey, let's see what happens with this. I would give a child an instruction and see if they could follow it. And they would follow it. If I give them two instructions, could they do both? If I gave them three, could they do those? And I, you know, you, you got to where you could kind of predict what some of the struggles were based on how well they were able to follow those verbal directions. So kids who have a hard time following a series, or if they're, you know, you've probably met kids who they put together a Lego set, like no problem, right? Mm-hmm. And then other kids who they're looking at the instructions, they got the pieces everywhere, they're old enough to do it, but they can't, they can't, their brain can't follow those, those sequential steps. So those, that would be something to pay attention to kids who maybe get really anxious when a routine changes, Mm -hmm. when, when they're used to certain things happening a certain way. And now it's like, uh, so that can be anxiety or it could be a sign of an executive function situation. Um, Getting overly emotional, you know, just, or um, getting kind of stuck on something like fixated on a certain thing. Those would be signs of um, dysfunction in the executive skill area, um, trouble organizing thoughts, keeping track of things, losing stuff all the time, being late to everything. <laughs> Actually, I'm describing myself. This is, <laughs> this is a problem. It is, is the, I don't want to say the fix, but is, is it mostly therapy or are there drugs out there that can help with this? So it's once again, yes, um, it's it, therapy is definitely helpful. Um, I've seen kids who benefit from occupational therapy to kind of help, you know, build skills in this area. But medication plays a role, too, because if you've got a child with a diagnosis of ADHD and you visit with a psychiatrist or a primary care physician, you know, they may try you on um a stimulant drug or some other kind of ADHD mm-hmm. medication. And those are designed to kind of help with that self-control to help, you know, the child focus and pay more attention and, and, you know, be able to kind of manage their executive functions better. So medication, therapy, skill building, practice, all of those things can, can make a big difference. 
fascinating stuff. We mentioned in the brain episode just how fascinating the brain is. And just the more episodes we do, the more fascinating I think this is and, and getting people to understand it. Is there anything else about executive functioning you think we need to add? One other thought that kind of occurs to me is I, I joked that like <laughs> I was describing myself when I was listing those other signs of executive <laughs> dysfunction. And actually it happens in adulthood a lot and we we can we can have lots of reasons for our executive functioning to be off and and so just kind of putting in perspective that it doesn't have to be necessarily a diagnosis or a major condition like if you don't sleep well one night mm-hmm. like the next day it may be very difficult to organize your thoughts and to you know prioritize your time and to to figure out what you need to do if you you know haven't been eating well if you're really stressed if you're having a relationship issue like these are all things that that can affect us high levels of anxiety just like i said if our if our um fight or flight response has been triggered, we're not using our executive functioning. So anytime you're in like a panic or you're just really, your mood is really escalated and there's lots going on, you're not using your executive function skills too, or either. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a childhood thing because we can struggle too. And so, you know, I've worked with lots of adults who are like, you know, I don't know what's changed, but I just can't pay attention. I have a hard hmm. time. So it's usually like, let's step back. Let's look at what else has changed. Have you taken a new medication? You know, have your sleeping habits changed? Are you more stressed than you? usual. Um, you know, what else is going on? Do you need to talk with your doctor to see if there's some other kind of, you know, physiological thing that might be contributing to this? So it's just important to realize that this is something to pay attention to all the time. And if you're noticing that you're off in some way, look into it. Yeah. Or your partner or coworker, something like that. And you mentioned mm-hmm. with the child making them part of the conversation. I mean, can you go up to a coworker and be like, I see you're having trouble uh, focusing on this project. What do you think is going to help? I mean, you know, <laughs> Depends on your relationship with that person and the role you have in their life. So if you're like a supervisor, leader of that person, and it's your job to help them, you know, be successful and kind of, you know, move forward through tasks. Sure. Like, hey, I noticed you're having a hard time getting this one going. Can you, you know, can I help you? You know, what do you think is at the heart of it? If it's it's your You're just talking to Travis across the way on the cube. Yeah. (laughs) He might not want to know your opinion. Yeah. He might not actually care what you think. But but I do think, you know, insignificant others. He'll give you an executive punching. Yes. Yeah. His impulse control might be off and he might do that, but, but yeah. So, I mean, adults can struggle with these things too, but, and, and I think, you know, to sum up it, it's important to realize that, you know, you can have difficulties with executive function without it being a mental health disorder or diagnosis. It's just like any other symptoms Mm -hmm. set we've talked about, you have to kind of look at what is at the heart of it, what's going on and what skills are needed to help overcome it. Because I mean, even with an example that is fairly clear, like ADHD is, is fairly clearly, you know, a dysfunction of executive skills, right? We still have lots of different ways of, of combating that. And if you practice the right skills and you learn the right things, you can compensate for that diagnosis to where it doesn't cause you any dysfunction. So, you know, I, I'm not saying it's that easy, but it is just really important to know that that all of these things can be worked with and you can find improvement. That's great. And if we have any additional resources, we will post them in the show notes for this episode. Our next episode will be episode 40, and we're going to talk about masking. And this is something that you know, I, we share our personal stories here sometimes, and, and I've gone through this journey of anxiety and ADHD for several years. I just heard of masking like a few weeks ago. Had no idea what it was, read a little article and was like, Nikki, we need to do an episode. So that's going to be the focus of our next episode, masking. If you've not heard of it, you can do a quick Google on it and everything, and then we'll kind of talk about it in episode 40. As always, we appreciate you sharing these podcast episodes with anyone you think could benefit from this. You can uh, communicate with us via Facebook or Instagram, and we're on 
Twitter, but I, I can't tell you the last time I logged into Twitter um, for the scrambled page, but yeah, we're there. Uh, our whole goal in starting this podcast was to start a conversation and that conversation continues with you.